This episode is dedicated to Guy H., Chrysler S., and Thomas S. All of them have made generous donations to the podcast recently. Therefore, their first names have been added to the podcast Hall of Fame page. And yes, I updated the Hall of Fame page. I can't believe I let it go unattended for a few months. Please accept my apologies if your name was one of the ones I added. And thank you for your patience. After all, this podcast has been a one-person show from the beginning. If the podcast had a list of credits, like a typical movie or TV show, my name would be on all the lines. Anyway, Guy has donated before, in 2020 and 2021. So if you have been here a while, you know he gets another icon on the Hall of Fame page. Yes! Guy, you are now the proud owner of the ever-popular Shway Dagon Pagoda Icon. And Chrysler and Thomas, I am honored to have you join our family. May all three of you advance in your careers to new heights of success. And now we'll go to the episode. Hit it, Hal! Hello, you have found the History of Southeast Asia podcast. I am your host, Charles Kimball. Episode 130, More Southeast Asian Monsters Greetings, dear listeners, for the 130th time, from the hills of bluegrass country in Kentucky. Originally, this episode was going to cover West Timor, the next stop in our series on the islands of eastern Indonesia. Then the Intelligence Speech Conference came up. For more on that, see the announcement I made previously, and the announcements I made on the History of Southeast Asia podcast Facebook page. Next, I read an article on the various monsters that people around the world believe in, and thus discovered five new beasties from Southeast Asia that I didn't know about already. Four years ago, I recorded an episode on that subject. It was episode 76, Monsters of Southeast Asia, and I called it a Halloween special. Now that Halloween is coming up again, this episode will be another Halloween special and a short follow-up to episode 76. If you haven't listened to episode 76 yet, I recommend you go to wherever you get this podcast and download or stream that episode as well. Don't worry, it's free for your listening pleasure. One thing that the monsters in this episode have in common is that they are all considered boogeymen. A boogeyman is a person or creature 
that parents threaten their children with when they misbehave. The parents will say something like, Eat your broccoli or I'm calling the ogre. Or, If you don't stop crying, the troll will get you. Evidently, using a scary creature to frighten children into obedience is something found in all cultures. So you may not want your kids listening to this episode, though this is a family-friendly podcast. If your kids are out of hearing range, let's get started. Go ahead, explain. But remember, if you lie, the boogeyman will get you, and your nose is gonna Ongbabi. Our first entry is from Vietnam, the Ongbabi. This one looks roughly humanoid, like an old rugged man with twelve eyes. He carries three sacks and will lure naughty children into dark, quiet neighborhoods to kidnap them and put them in his sacks. Unlike the many kinds of ghosts that the Vietnamese believe in, this monster appears to be thoroughly a creature of this world, aside from the multiple eyes. Some people believe that the Ong Ba Bi was invented in the imaginations of the 17th century, when there was a terrible famine in Vietnam, and many starving people were driven to kidnap children from other families. If they weren't willing to commit acts of cannibalism, they would sell the children for normal food, which was now a rare commodity. Now which monster is next? Krahong. In episode 76, I told you about the Sway, a hideous spirit from Thailand that looks like a flying woman's head, with her internal organs hanging down underneath. The crossway also haunts other Southeast Asian countries, under other names. For example, Cambodians call her the Op. Well, the Thais also believe that the crossway has a ghostly husband, called the Krahang. According to them, a man becomes a Krahang when he dabbles too much in sorcery and gets turned into a terrifying ghost when the magic backfires on him. He appears as a normal man during the day, but at night becomes a man wearing a traditional loincloth with no shirt. To fly, he wears two enormous round baskets the kind used for winnowing rice, one on each arm. He may also ride the pole used to pound the hulls off rice grains, as if it was a broomstick. Finally, it is said that they can shoot fire from their mouths. Ties disagree on how dangerous the Krahong really is, 
Reports of them terrorizing villagers, especially women and children, have been heard as recently as 2012. Some describe them as being bloodthirsty and attacking animals. Though they are really scavengers, their primary diet is filth, garbage, and human waste. Ew, that's disgusting! Others describe them as guardian spirits who hang around temples and other places of worship. In this form, they will protect those who are pure of heart and punish those that are evil. Santu Sakai Our next monster is from Malaysia, and this is truly one you won't want to meet in a dark alley. In fact, judging from how recent the sightings of it are, the Santu Sakai might be a real creature, like the Yeti or Bigfoot could be. The creature's name means Mouth Man, and it is described as a giant ape with long fangs, who raids villages and carries off people for midnight snacks. My sources describe it as a type of werewolf, suggesting that it hides in the daytime, by becoming a more human-like creature, possibly even someone from a tribe of humans living in a remote area, away from Malaysia's cities. Indeed, in nearby Myanmar, the Burmese believe in a creature called a Tase, which looks and acts very much like the werewolf in Western horror stories. The Myanmar werewolf is probably based on sightings of the dole, a wild dog found in that country. Back to the Santu Sakai. Nowadays, because Malaysia is a modern, successful nation, most Malaysians do not believe in the Santu Sakai. Our main testimony about this monster comes from a foreign visitor, Henry Van Heerden. You can read Van Heerden's story in the book The Abominable Snowmen by Eric Normand. According to this, in June 1967, Van Heerden left Kuala Lumpur, the capital of Malaysia, to go hunting a few miles out in the nearest jungle. Using a backwoods road that was scarcely visible, he wandered half a mile from his vehicle and managed to bag a number of the local birds when he heard ugly growls and strange screams and saw two huge, shaggy monsters charging at him. He described the creatures he saw as, quote, demons from hell, unquote. He rushed back to the car, dropping everything but his shotgun in his mad dash for safety. When he reached the car, he tried shooting the mouthmen, but one of them bit his arm, causing him to drop the gun. Desperate, Van Heerden managed to pick up a good-sized rock and used it to pound this monster on the skull, until it fell in a daze. Next, he struck the other in the face, got inside the car, and started the engine. At this point, 
one monster tried smashing through the rear window, while the other mounted the hood. When the car started moving, the monster in the rear fell off, but the one on the hood began battering the windshield. So Van Heerden hit the brakes, sending the monster flying into some weeds. Then he hurried back to civilization. The hunter reported the incident to the police, but they only laughed and told him to go home and sleep it off. The next afternoon, Van Heerden returned to the scene of the attack with some of his friends. Those who were skeptical of his words changed their minds when they saw strange human-like footprints and blood in several places. The shotgun was nowhere to be found. Presumably the hairy demons took it away, and Van Heerden speculated on what they might have done with it. Weiwei Gombel This is a female ghost from the island of Java. She is described as looking like a woman, but with red eyes and very long breasts hanging downward. Modern art also shows her with fangs, as if she is a vampire. The myth around her is several centuries old, and one of the most popular horror stories in present-day Indonesia. In fact, the story was made into a movie twice, in 1988 and 2012. And in 2020, it was featured on the HBO program Folklore. According to the story, once upon a time there was a married couple living in Semarang, a city in central Java. Unfortunately, when the husband realized that his wife was barren, he stopped loving her and wandered away for long periods of time, so she was usually lonely and sad. One day she followed him and caught him in a sexual relationship with another woman. Enraged by this discovery, she killed her husband. But when the neighbors found out about the crime, they gathered in a mob and chased her from Semarang, and eventually she committed suicide. Of course, that's not the end of the story, for the woman's vengeful spirit now became Weiwei Gombel. At first, she would wander around at night, wearing a white dress or veil, riding a white horse, and armed with a rattan stick. If she met anyone who had wronged her, she would inflict curses that would make them ill or even kill them. After all her enemies were gone, she switched to another line of work. Now she kidnaps children who have been mistreated or neglected by their parents and keeps them in a nest in the crown of a palm tree. Children in her clutches are not afraid of her because she treats them like a grandmother, and she may even return them to the parents if they repent of their ways and promise to take better care of them in the future. Children are told this story to keep them from going outside at night. Altogether, 
The Weiwei Gombel doesn't sound as bad as the other monsters in this episode. One version of the story even asserts that if you are brave enough to confront the Weiwei Gombel without losing your wits completely, she is a ghost, after all, she will grant you power and fortune. But we have one more monster to meet, and this one isn't friendly. Long Suyar Back in episode 76, I talked about Southeast Asian vampires, called Pontianak in Malaysia and Indonesia, and Asuwang in the Philippines. The Long Suyar is both a ghost and another type of vampire, told about in Singapore and Malaysia. The name comes from the Malay word for eagle. A long suyar is created when a beautiful woman dies while pregnant or giving birth. The trauma of delivering a stillborn child can also turn a woman into a long suyar. She is described as having very long nails, arms so long that she can touch her feet with her hands while standing, and wearing green robes. Like other vampires, she seeks the blood of the living. Her favorite blood comes from newborn baby boys. However, she sucks the blood through a hole in the back of her neck, which is concealed by covering it with her long hair. Like other ghosts, the Long Suyar can fly in the sky at night and scare people by howling like a banshee. One version of the myth also says the Long Suyar can change into an owl. And if you see an owl perched on the roof of a house, it could mean a Long Suyar is attacking someone inside. On other occasions, you may see a Long Suyar in human form perched in a tree, or wandering on a beach while eating a fish. There is a tree in Malaysia called the Rengas tree that contains poisonous oils and is believed to be cursed by the Long Suyar. So when woodcutters harvest lumber from this tree, they will undergo elaborate exorcisms, not to get rid of the wood's toxin, but to keep from getting haunted by long suyars and other spirits. Finally, Malaysians will tell you how to keep a recently deceased mother from becoming a long suyar. Put a hen's egg under each armpit, a needle in the palm of each hand, and glass beads in her mouth. Supposedly, if this is done, a reanimated woman cannot become a long suyar, because she cannot open her mouth to scream, nor can she wave her arms or open and close her hands in order to fly.
And that's all for today. If you are listening to this episode during the same week I recorded it, I hope you will join me for the Intelligent Speech Conference on Saturday. Again, see the announcement I posted previously, wherever you got this episode, for the details. And for the next episode, we will resume the podcast tour of Eastern Indonesia with a stop on an island we visited once before, Timor. Everyone listening, join me for that, too. It takes money, time, and energy to record this podcast and make it available to the rest of the world. I have the time to do this because currently I don't have a day job. My income comes from self-employment. So if you think this episode was worth at least a dollar, the best way you can express your appreciation is by supporting the podcast financially. To do that, go to the host of the podcast, Blueberry.com, look for the gold button that says Donate, and click on it to make a secure donation through PayPal. The URL for the host site is www dot b-l-u-b-r-r-y dot com forward slash h-o-s-e-a-s-i-a forward slash once you are there click on any episodes page and scroll to the bottom thank you in advance for whatever you can give maybe you're saying i cannot give right now What else can I do to help? I'm glad you asked. You can rate the podcast on the website or app where you download or listen to it. And maybe write a review while you're at it. Reviews attract more potential listeners. And if you're active on Facebook, like the History of Southeast Asia podcast page. So you will catch the content I share that's related to the show, like pictures, videos, and articles. And finally, tell others about the show. You never know who may be interested enough to give it a listen. When it comes to advertising, the simplest kind, word of mouth, is still the most effective. Thank you for listening, and pleasant dreams. of the night. We offer this sacrifice in honor of you, sanctified 